some special guests with us today. And uh, um, we have to be a little bit careful in what we talk about because of the position that Jim holds. We're not going to use his last name. We're not going to talk in some specific things uh, about what he has done and what the Lord has brought him through. We want to talk more about their spiritual life and how God has worked through that. But we are going to talk a little bit about his job as a Navy SEAL. And uh, it's my privilege to welcome him and his wife April here today, knowing that in the last 15 plus years, he has been on the forefront of defending our freedom. And we need to welcome them. Jim, how long have you been in the Navy? Uh, 19 years and a couple weeks to be exact. And, and you, you went into the Navy wanting to be a Navy SEAL. That's correct. That's correct. But that didn't work out right away. That's right. <laughs> uh, as in anything, you know, recruiters will bait you. And I got kind of meandered into the submarine community, which I don't regret. It was a great time for about three years. <laughs> So uh, you were, anybody here serving a submarine? Uh, no, we've been underwater a couple of times, but. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> hey, we all have. <laughs> now, uh, what you really wanted to do was to, you wanted to be in the Special Forces. Somebody uh, ignited that uh, idea in you. And, uh, and so uh, I, we pulled a few generic pictures off of the, uh, off of the internet about, uh, <laughs> Tell everybody what this is called, what the training is called, and how long it lasts. And I've got okay. six pictures here. I'm going to cycle through. Right. Uh, well, it's Bud's Basic Underwater Demolition School SEAL training, and this portion right here, these guys, because of the color of their T-shirts, they're in first phase or indoctrination, and that's surf torture. <laughs> surf torture. Correct. We're not supposed to torture our own people, are we? <laughs> well, they, they want you to be uncomfortable. So uh, <laughs> I think even in the summertime, the average water temperature is around maybe 63. If you're lucky, it gets up to 65 degrees. This would be like San Diego or? Correct. Yeah. So this is Coronado. We're just off of Coronado Island and uh, what they call the Silver Strand. And this is the Pacific Ocean, and they're getting an appreciation for it. <laughs> I guess if you're going to be a sea, air, land operative, you need to uh, be really comfortable in the ocean. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, what's uh, what's going to go on here? It looks like they're uh, air drying a little bit. It's probably <laughs> windy. So they can only keep you in the water for a certain amount of time. Most of these guys aren't aware of those time charts because of hypothermia. So they'll push you to the edge of that envelope, and then they'll bring you up and... Uh, let you warm there's, up a little there's bit. There's probably a breeze, so it forces them to be a little colder, and they separate you from other folks so there's no uh, you know, body warmth against you. It's just testing your, your mental strength. And then eventually, you know, at the point of where most folks would break, they'll, they'll have you do an exercise to warm up your core. You mean, you mean moving around physically moving. so it warms Absolutely. you up? Absolutely. 
is this primarily important in terms of mental strength or, or is there some real life application when you get out doing the job? It's absolutely about real life. There's nothing. Buds is, is much easier than any your average operation. You're, you're not always cold and wet, but you're extremely uncomfortable. And if you can become comfortable being, being uncomfortable, you know, it's the norm for you. You're, you're going to perform. You're not going to. You're not going to mentally defeat yourself. This is actually my buds class. You were in that class? Yep. That guy quit right in the middle. It's <laughs> <laughs> pretty ironic. I, I, I actually, well, there's another picture coming at the end, and I'm, I'm going to expect that you know some <laughs> of those people. But So how many years ago did you go through this? Two. 2000, you think? 2000? 2000, yes, sir. Okay. Now, the one thing that did make me question your intelligence and your judgment was a year ago when we met, we were talking about this, and he said, oh, it's not that big a deal. You could do it. That's right. It's... Talking about me. <laughs> <laughs> and then you said, it's just mind over matter. Mind over matter. If you don't mind, it doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> Is I mean, some people have the ability to do that, and some people don't. Is that really what's going on? You're, you're finding out who can, really, who can really control themselves under difficulty. That's correct. Who can push their, their body mentally past the brink? Most folks would just shut down. It's, it's it, really the biggest, toughest guys don't make it. It's not something you can learn really so much as you kind of have to be there already? Yes. Yeah. I, I think you're inherently, you know, the Lord has put guys here, or warriors. Leaders are born, in my opinion, to some degree, in a large degree. Um, but a lot of your parental upbringing and, and training is what drives the, the, are, are, the, are you the product. Saying, are you saying, as a parent, we can teach our children to be tough in the midst of difficulty? Correct. I, or we can teach them to be weak? Correct. How would you see that working out? You're a parent. How old are your kids? 13 and 11. <laughs> Do you both teach them to be strong? It's difficult. April, pick up the mic, April. <laughs> what's, one, what's one way you've tried to teach them to be strong in the way he's talking about? Well, I just do simple things around the house, like make them take the trash out in the rain, make them mow the grass when it's 100 degrees outside. <laughs> You're the Navy Still SEAL. Live. You're the Navy SEAL <laughs> trainer of mothers. Yeah. <laughs> Here we go. Oh, uh, the, these guys are just doing some shoulder exercises. I think we call these Superman, Superman exercises on the beach. This is obviously they've just come out of the surf zone, so this would be one evolution that they they do to raise your core body temperature back up. And they're obviously sandy. They're always <laughs> sandy. That's some, that's some good surf right there. <laughs> this Obviously, was, uh, the boat drill. <laughs> right. And this may be my class as well. It's uh, Anytime there's big surf, that whatever you're doing, they make you stop and grab the boats because they like to see you guys scattered all, all over the three winds. Are, are, are you saying anybody can sail in calm seas? <laughs> but not yeah. everybody can sail in this yeah. stuff. These, uh, these waves will fold a boat up like a taco. And uh, shoot guys out 20, 25 feet. It's pretty hilarious. The, the, the That's cat, fun for you. No, the cadre. <laughs> it's, uh, 
It's fun if you're an instructor just watching guys. Get... <laughs> Have no you been an instructor? No. No. Not, not in buds. Not in buds. <laughs> Let's see. What did it feel like? Uh, let's see, the, uh, the trident is the uh, top uh, yes, sir. brass. What did it feel like to get that? You, you finished this training. How long is the training before you get that? It was, it was nine months. Um, nine months? Yes, sir. That one week is just uh, tip of the iceberg. <laughs> Hell week? Hell week is, is just a very small fraction of, of what you do in training. And I didn't receive my, my bird until I was at my team, and I went through a, a short probationary period. Why is that? If you, can I ask? Because uh, as with any organization, you, no matter the training, you, you do have flaws in the system. I mean, there's a very scrutinized screening process, but you do identify once at a team character flaws, uh, bad character traits, integrity issues, or just somehow the guy was carried through by his brethren, if, if you will, through training. And outside of that, he, he really can't perform and, and produce on his own. So you wait to see. Correct. Wow. So you made it. So how did it feel when you made it? It was outstanding. <laughs> it was High I'm, point of your life to that point? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. How many guys out of your class, how many guys are in a class and how many make it generally on the average? It, it varies. It depends on the, the season and how many, you know, time of year and how many guys start. Now they're starting with much larger numbers because they've increased uh, instructor to student ratio. So you can tend to increase the number of class or students in the class. I graduated with 16 originals. And I think we had eight guys roll into our class. But how many would have started? We started with 140. 140. She has a couple pictures somewhere it's of everybody lined up on the beach. It's, it's pretty, pretty comical when you look at it. And then look at the graduation picture. So now you, you were already married, or what was your relationship while he was going through that training? We dated all through Buds. You dated all through Buds. So how, how did you meet? Um, he was actually a Samariner in my hometown. Oh, because he was stationed where you lived? Mm -hmm. Okay. And uh, so did you just, like, walk out to the boat and say, hey, sailor? Uh. <laughs> Negative. I hated squids. <laughs> What's I, squid was a Navy guy in our hometown, and local girls did not go near squids. <laughs> so what happened was is that I had a friend at work, and she kept saying she wanted to hook me up with this perfect guy for me. And um, I was like, no, 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 no. <laughs> and because um, she, her husband was on the boat. And um, she's like, seriously, everything that you would like in a man, Jim is, has it. And um, based on my experience with the Navy guys and just watching him, observing him, everybody knows you don't go near Navy guys. <laughs> I would not have it. Now, now, hang on a minute. Is there any other Navy guys here? Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's true. Sure enough. <laughs> no. So long story short, um, I was actually using my brother's car, and uh, it broke down. It was getting overheated easily, and Beth was like, well, we're having a get-together at G. Willikers as a local restaurant has a pool table and stuff. And she said that um, Jim was going to be there, and so I said, I'm not going. But then my friend Maria was like, please go, please go. We have nothing to do on a Friday. And um, she's a cute little Mexican girl. 
And so I went, and I didn't even know that was Jim. And as soon as he walked in, my eyes were like, <laughs> <laughs> and the rest is history. <laughs> <laughs> and the rest, they say, is history. Huh? Yeah. yeah, so you, you dated all through his, his buds training. Then you got married after that when he was stationed, or what? Um, we were engaged for almost two years. Yes. And then um, as soon as he graduated from all this training and stuff, we were scheduled to be married in September. And so um, he actually got extended because we were going to get married in June, and then he had to get extended for something. He got rolled. His original class got rolled. So we ended up getting married in September. But it was planned for a long time. Okay. Okay. Um. What, what would you say it was like, uh, so we're going to fast forward a little bit, he's, he's, he's a Navy SEAL now, did that change him? Not at first, um, probably not until uh, 2005 and 2004 when Gage was a baby and we had him. And okay. okay, so at first it was just kind of business as usual, as mm-hmm. far as you knew, mm-hmm. and uh, whatnot. Um, how long, uh, I, don't know, I don't know if you could tell us this or not, but uh, how long after you finished training was it until you went into to a warfare situation or a battle situation the first time? About, was it a while or was it? It was, uh, it was about one, just over one year. One year. And was early 2003. Uh, we're going to go way fast forward a minute to say that uh, one of the uh, things that Jim has uh, received from his time in the Navy is... Uh, traumatic brain injury and so sometimes when it comes to uh, remembering uh, April may be helping him <laughs> unlike the rest of us husbands and wives <laughs> who just we got I got no good excuse for why I can't remember things <laughs> um, what w- do you remember what it was like going into battle the first time it was exciting I was very excited because that's what I I signed up to do, literally, and it, it does sound corny, but I tell guys this all the time, I signed up to do something that most folks didn't want to do, and I wanted to serve my country. And after 9-11, I, I was really eager to do my job. And once I became part of a team, I, we just couldn't wait. It, every, there was very few vets, war vets, in the community some Bosnia, Kosovo guys were still around, and Gulf War. But. So there, there was there's a lot of Navy SEALs, but it just hadn't been opportunity for them to be in battle. Correct. So it's kind of coming into a new time. So you were in the Navy before 9-11. Right. And then that transpired, okay. Correct. On and your honeymoon. On, on your honeymoon. Right. Did your pager go off and say? <laughs> no, I, I called in and um, they said just finish your honeymoon and, and check into the team when when you get back. So, and day one I hit the ground at the team. I was gone. It was nonstop, just nonstop. training. So it was exciting. And uh, how did uh, how did uh, warfare turn out compared to training? Like. You train to do this, do that, do it this way, do it that way. How did it work out in, in real life? You, you train to the point of everything becomes muscle memory. So there's not one time in my life I ever recall taking the safety off my weapon or shouldering my weapon. It's just, it's just automatic. But the, 
there are things that you can train and train. A, a plan is only, is only as good as once the first bullet flies, Pastor Ed. A lot of guys say that. And then it's your contingencies and your reactions and, and how you adhere to those and your cohesiveness with the guys around you. It's basically, basically it's controlled chaos is the best way to put it and how you manage that. You can, I like to use that adage, you can let fear control you or you can control it. Because you're not, you can't avoid fear. It's just a natural instinct. So you're excited to go into battle and scared at the same time? Exactly. Okay. But again, because of how God has made you, because of the extensive training, it's, it's sort of like all of the pieces are automatic. You just put them together at a certain time and, and not automatic, but the muscle memory. And, right. Yeah. It's just managing that adrenaline. Wow. Um. Got pictures of. Uh, I, obviously, I, I don't expect these were actual battle battle conditions, you know. No, but they're pictures fine. of the kinds of things that you do. Uh, <laughs> maybe you stuff. could uh, describe this to people. So that is, hey ho operations, high altitude, high opening, mili- military free fall. And uh, the first picture, what you uh, observed is that those guys are diving out of a C-17. It looks like, or C-1. That's C-130. So they're diving out um, with a military freefall rig, and that is oxygen because you're, you can obviously tell how high he is. Once you pass... You're above the clouds. Right. Once you pass, <laughs> uh, and cloud decks vary on, you know, d- different days, but once you exceed 12,500 feet, you have to pre-breathe oxygen or have supplemental oxygen. So that is probably... It's at least a 16,000-foot jump by the looks of it, so he has to, he has to jump with O2. And, and you've said before this is one of the, the, the funnest things I for you. I love doing this. April <laughs> How many of you have jumped out of an airplane or a helicopter? Okay, yeah. Got some Amen. crazy people out there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, so... Do you uh, try to stay together? Sometimes. Um, it really depends on um, the method of insertion and what you're going to do. <clears throat> Give so, us a for instance. So those guys are probably just doing a, a grouping type jump. So they're they're trying to maintain heading and a group. That distance. way they all arrive at the same place. Exactly. That would be the p- purpose of that. Correct. Whereas there might be times when you you don't want to all arrive at the same place. Right. This is an over the beach insertion. So. You would get dropped off, and the distance varies. Depends on the, the threat and the signature, uh, the signature uh, equipment that your adversary has. So you could be a thousand yards. You could get dropped off several miles, and you can come in via a diving apparatus, uh, a vehicle, subsurface vehicle, or swim. You know, low signature to the beach. How do you keep your stuff from getting wet? Use dry bags, seal line bags, a lot of a lot of dry bags for your just for your sensitive equipment, cameras, computers, things of that nature. But the rest of you stays pretty wet. <laughs> it's another over the beach in, infiltration. These guys they came in on a uh, LAR five, so it's a closed circuit breathing rig. So they came in under the water. 
It's a river and stream, so he's coming up river. Have you done all that stuff? I've done a great deal of it. Not all real world. That's a helicopter insertion from a <coughs> CH-47. Looks like training. Hmm. Um, so you're excited to go into battle. You're fearful at the same time as the years add up. Uh, how do Navy SEALs deal with the pressure of their work? For me, it became the only time I, I was comfortable was deploying. And I didn't notice it. I was extremely uncomfortable at home and at the workplace in garrison. Um, but it was automatic for me. Uh, there's so much that I can control when I'm deployed. You know, I control when we wake. I control when we go to sleep. I control how much we work. I can control the, the battlefield. I can control traffic. <laughs> it's just, there's no, I don't have local ordinances. I don't have local police bothering me. I don't have people telling me how I should live, what uniform I should wear. And I didn't have. You're kind of the whole law. Right. I didn't have <laughs> problems at home. And that, that's a problem when he comes home and he thinks he's the whole law? <laughs> <laughs> So, but, uh, you know, what, what are the, besides the, just the difficulty of a different type of life at home, what are the things maybe in general, I mean, is it hard to lose your comrades in death? Yes. I, I mean, I know that sounds like a silly question, but I mean, I would assume it is. It, does that, how significant of a stress is that? For me, it was very significant the first time because I'd been in a lot of um, firefights where we had prevailed and we just crushed our enemy every time. And things got dicey a few times, but we you know, could roll in aircraft and drop bombs. We just had superiority. And I'd been around other units or we had flown in to pull out other guys. But your brothers that you come up with, coming through training, I guess the way... I, in my mind, to me, is you're, it was preached constantly that you're a superman. Really? It's just you will not fail. You will not fail. Nobody ever trained you. If this happens, you, you need to anticipate this. You know, seeing your buddy lying there, what are you going to do? You kind of check that block going through training, but I don't think, for me personally, I was never mentally prepared to see a friend lying on the ground dead and or dying and the game shifted in 2007 for me hmm. in one night and I realized that I'm not infallible and I'm not a superhero in fact it, I think it registered with Easton as well right after that deployment hmm. that's when he started asking me to become a mailman uh, <laughs> wow because <laughs> he sees him every day <laughs> Um, and so how did you, uh, start to manage some of that difficulty? By drinking. By drinking. What, what kind of peace does getting drunk give you? Quite honestly, maybe for a short, short time, 
you have some sort of worldly peace. But when you come down off whatever cloud it is, it's just compounded. You've probably created a larger problem. You hurt those around you. Is that the case, April? Did he, uh, uh, what impact did his stress management through alcohol have on you? Thankfully, there was only a handful of times that he did it at home. Um, there was only a handful of times. He didn't drink in home, but he would go straight from work to the bar, and that was really hard because I'd have dinner ready, and it'd get cold, and the boys are like, where's daddy, where's daddy? And um, come 8 o'clock, if he hasn't called me yet or answered his phone, I know where he's at, and that was the hardest part. But the rest of it, um, he did on the road during training. It was like... We were able to keep him a little sane, but once he left, he just picked up the bottle probably before the plane landed. Why did you, why did you not drink at home? Moral standards. <laughs> I, to be quite frank, sir, I, I really battled being two different people. Hmm. Is the warrior guy, hard living, and the dad guy, the white, the husband guy. Is that what you're saying? And so-called Christian. So-called Christian. What, what part did, uh, what, when did you, okay, so-called Christian, when did your so-called Christianity start in your life? I, I said a prayer in, in 2000, in Bud's, right before Bud's, and Oh, God, (laughs) I'm about to go into the hardest thing of my life. (laughs) No, it's, uh, I would, I always felt it's selfish to pray to the Lord for anything. Mm -hmm. I knew, if I'm not serving him, but why would I ask him for anything? But I prayed because she was witnessing to me continually. So he had, he, had, he had everything you wanted except one thing. <laughs> and you, main ingredient. <laughs> the main ingredient. So you knew that he didn't know the Lord. You'd had discussions about that? Yeah, he was a very good man. He had a lot of morals, a lot of character. He had a lot of integrity, and he believed in God, and he, he grew up Catholic, but mm. he was never saved. Okay. Never really came into a relationship with God. That's correct. So, but through her talking with you... Did you just sort of surrender to make her happy, or was there a certain sincerity about that? Or looking back, I, I think it was more of just surrendering to appease her and and other folks. Yeah, kind of like, well, you know, I yeah, I believe in God, and what's it going to hurt, kind of a thing. But Christianity really wasn't real to you. So when you came into those those hard days in two thousand and seven, or whenever they were before that. You really didn't have the inner strength to deal with the most difficult things in your life. No, I think from hearing and being in a in a, a good church, but I wasn't really close to the Lord. I, I knew what I needed to do, and I was very convicted. And I, I mentally, I talked myself into, you know, I, I'm close enough to the Lord and, and would try and lean on Him. I'm good enough? Uh, yes, and... He never, there was no peace. No peace? I, because I, haven't, I had not surrendered to him. Hmm. Did that 
did that condition of not having peace with God, did that impact you when you went into battle? Or when you went back to on deployment? Or did that kind of go autopilot then and my life's just kind of flowing along here? It was highs and lows. It would, I called it bartering with the Lord, I think. Mm. You know, in, in times of need, it would, I would draw close to Him because I don't, I'm not really sure it depend. It depended on the occasion or what happened. But things would go back to normal and I would go back to who I was. Hmm. And those were always, um, you know, very private professions or not very public in the workplace. Were you happy with who you were? I was for a few years. I, I, I think I'd found a balance. And... At some point, and April would probably be better to articulate, I really lost the balance. And uh, I was doing very well at coming to church and then on the road being a completely different guy. So you come to church when you're home, you come to church with her and the boys, shake the preacher's hand, good sermon. It (laughs) It was very easy for me to hide. Lead in a youth ministry. What's that? He was actually a youth group leader. A youth group leader. Okay, and then he'd go on the road. Did you not know there was a double life for a while, or did you know? Oh, no, I knew. You knew. <laughs> and so what was, how, how was that for you? I mean, what was, uh, obviously you didn't like it, but describe what it was like to know that that was going on. It was heartbreaking, frustrating, felt like a hypocrite. Um, I didn't you want- felt like a hypocrite because of him? No, I oh. felt like our um, what's the word? testimony. Yeah, our testimony was hypocritical because he'd be, we'd be with the teens and going to church and yet have a double standard. Uh, right, right. So how did you? Uh, how would you characterize your Christianity? So you know, you you essentially kind of helped him to come to the Lord. Were you? Were you walking with the Lord fairly strongly throughout the marriage, or did it, was there some change or growth there for you? What, how would you describe that? In the, well, I, I was saved when I was five, and we grew up in a Christian home, so I've always walked with the Lord. He was always. I never fell into things that typical Christians don't do, but at the same time, I had. I still wasn't completely surrendered just because I was selfish, and prideful. Um, quick with my tongue, um, just acceptable sins is what we call them, things that you don't really think about until God really gets a hold of your heart. And um, so, yeah, I was a good Christian, and then we went to church and for a couple of years, but it wasn't until I start, my marriage started slipping through my fingers that I really got on my knees, and I was like, Lord, what do I need to change about me to make our marriage work? And that was when he started pinpointing my acceptable sins that I live with every day and don't think anything of. And um, trying to really teach me how to die to myself and to get crucified with Christ and to abide in him. And um, in John 15, it says, unless we abide in Christ, we will not bear fruit. And the fruit of the spirit is love and gentleness and patience and meekness and those are the things that God wants to work in every Christian. And until we completely die to ourselves, um, that's not going to happen. So even though I was your typical Christian, I didn't really get on my knees and de- 
let God get to the nitty-gritty of my heart until 2005 because I needed him or else my marriage wouldn't <laughs> last at all. And uh, let me, I'm going to pick that up in a minute, and I'm going to ask you uh, how it was to endure through that. But when, uh, when did your stress management system uh, come, uh, cease to work for you? I think in 2012, I came back from my last deployment, or, and I, I was picking up a, a, another team immediately, and as soon as I started working up with those guys, we're traveling, and um, actually I'd just gotten saved, I'd just gotten right with the Lord. Really, so you really came to a point. What's the difference between what you did when you said you prayed a prayer and at that moment when you're saying, I really got saved? What's the difference to you? <laughs> or, or how, what, what did you come to understand and believe and express that you hadn't before? It's, um, I wish I could put it in a bottle and put it on a shelf and take a sip every now and then. It, <laughs> it is extreme peace. You know, the Lord says, come to me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, I'll give you rest. And I never felt that much peace. There was so much going on in my life still. You know, so much that was still weighing in the balance on either side. But I knew that at that point, God had a plan. And He was in control. And if I just surrendered and submit, Things would work out. May not, maybe not, my, what I totally wanted. Yeah. But I had an extreme uh, amount of peace. So the, the the difference between saying a prayer and really knowing God came with a full surrender of saying, "I'm yours. Right. I'm a sinner. You're the Savior. I'm here. It's all for you." Absolutely. Yeah. And you came to that point. You said in 2012. Absolutely, in February, and it was. I didn't verbally say a prayer. I was, we, I was actually in my home. The, the kids weren't around. April was the only person there. But it was like my heart was praying hmm. to God. And that's, and what, that's what really matters. That's, that's all that matters. Yeah. You were going to say something there? Uh, <clears throat> I don't think he'll mind if I um, just add something. At that moment, he realized how dirty of a sinner he was and how he kept all his failures, he admitted them instead of trying to be that Superman that was drilled into his head. And he realized how weak he was. And then, because um, that's opposite of everything that he's been trying to be, is weak. And so um, he actually, on his knees, cried for about 15 minutes straight. And like he said, no words, just crying. Mm. And that's when he got saved. That is, that's an important, that's an important uh thing to get your heart around to realize I am a sinner, whereas before you were self-righteous in a way, I'm a moral guy, um, I, I keep my sin over here, my righteousness over here, and, and, and I am a superman, but you really had to come to realize you're not that. That's, that's the best way to put it. Yeah. And you, you have said before, I know, that you, there was a reason you didn't want to come to that point of really surrendering and, and being a Christian full on because you were afraid other people would think what? That I was weak. You didn't want to be seen as weak. That's, that's correct. Did that start with your SEAL training or was that a lifelong thing? 
what's uh, we were just talking the other night, and uh, we were listening to some folks talk about, you know, how many people had visited their home to talk about Jesus Christ all through their life, you know, knocking on doors. I don't recall anyone prior to April ever talking to me about Jesus, hmm. which blew my mind growing up in the South. And so, no, I, I didn't, going through training and prior to, you know, really going to church and hearing the gospel, I just thought you had to be a good person. Hmm. But uh, I think when I started going to church, some guys had approached me about, you know, Jesus and who he was and what he did, and I didn't want to hear it. And I thought they were a little weird. But once I started hearing the gospel and I was attending church, I guess regularly, in, in my opinion back then, I really chose I need to keep this over here and away from work. Mm. Because if I bring this to work, I'm going to lose so much credibility. The other supermen will think you have uh, lost your cape. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> but what did you, you, you've also said that when you really came to the Lord, you, instead of being weak, you really gained a strength. Absolutely. How, how would you characterize that strength that you've gained? It's, it's not of me. It's by God's grace. And w- when I first was saved, I was, able to, I was able to stay at home for a while. I, w- I wasn't traveling. So I was growing in God's grace a little bit. And then once I started traveling, I wanted to really plead to guys about what had happened and what they needed to do. But I still was very hesitant. Well, Jesus doesn't say to be hesitant. And because I... Re- I paused and didn't execute. It became easier and easier not to talk about it. But once I truly submitted, and this is well after I was saved, this is approximately a year after I was saved, um, all the things that I feared in the workplace, uh, the relationships or bonds that I thought I would lose so much credibility, the Lord increased. Hmm. I, nobody broke ties with me. I figured nobody would want me to come back to a team and lead any group hmm. to, at any degree. But now, folks, they, they can see there's a change. It's not in my strength. It, they know something's different, but they absolutely want me to come back. And the same guys that I ran and partied with and just lived a, a heathen-style life, they know who I am, and they want me to come back and, and lead them again because... It's just all about what God has done. and hmm. He knows I'm not perfect. They know I'm not perfect, but yeah. I don't want to be a hypocrite. Yeah. Now, April, there was, after he really got saved and started living for the Lord, there was still another crisis where he, he fell back into his old ways. And uh, I've heard him share about it a couple of times, but I haven't heard it from your perspective. Could you just share a little bit about that? Uh, kind of give us the gist of what happened there and, and how the Lord used that. Uh, just, you know, maybe condense it a little bit. I don't know. Just share your perspective mm-hmm. on it. Um, well, I, I, I don't think anybody's in a hurry to go anywhere, so you just go right ahead. <laughs> I hear some tummies If grumbling they get out done there. before we're done, they can just get up and go. That's <laughs> all. <laughs> well, probably, what, a year? He um, tried walking in God's strength, and I think he had probably two or three trips where he didn't drink. And then... Um, started all over again 
And I think that because he fell, um, he got discouraged. And so he was like, why even bother? This is not me. Um, I can't do this. I'm not a normal guy. I can't really, I can't really live the Christian life. Just go back into the old way. Right. And so um, we didn't talk for a long time. He was on a trip, I think, for six weeks. And um, everything came to a head one night. And it led to him actually having to go to the hospital for brain injuries and PTSD. And so um, that was a five-week stay. And um, my boys went with my mom and dad. And so it was just him and I. And that has not happened since we got married. So we had a lot of time to talk. And he was kicking and screaming the whole way there because he didn't think he needed to go. And he was supposed to have been deployed with his men, which was a big deal to him. And so he had put all these guys through training. And here he was sending them to Afghanistan alone. And that was eating him up. And so we went to the hospital. And like I said, he was still very, very angry. In fact, the first day there, I thought he was going to kill everybody that was in the room, and I was extremely embarrassed. And um, he, <laughs> so he was there, and I think probably two weeks of pouting, um, the Lord sent us a Marine. <laughs> and there's a, he was only 22, and he had a wife. She was 20. They had a little um, eight-month-old baby. And they were just the sweetest little couple. And... Um, the Marine was writing notes of suicide because um, in this hospital, they have different things and therapeutic things, and one was writing. So you could go into a room, and it was really pretty. It was just all blocked off from the world and plants and everything, and you could write. And so that was his therapy. And I don't know if he showed it to Jim or if the nurse showed it to Jim. The nurse. The nurse showed it to Jim and said, do you think, which is awesome because he stood out to the nurse. And the nurse showed Jim his letter and was talking about suicide and how he was going to say goodbye to his family. And um, so he was staying in the same Fisher house as us. And while I was cooking dinner, he and Jim went outside. And he was um, talking to Jim. And Jim was like, listen, man, I've been where you are. I know how you feel. But God can take it all away. You know, you might fall, but you have to get back up again. God can take your drinking. He can take your anger. He can take your PTSD. He can take all those things, um, cast your burden upon the Lord, and um, he'll take it away from you. And um, he just kept talking about over and over again about how God can take it away from you. So anyway, I guess Brad, that was his name, he felt really encouraged, and his wife thanked me. So when we went back to the room that night, I was like, what did you say? And he told me what he said. And I just looked at him. My mouth was like, <laughs> I was like, do you realize what you just said? I was like, everything that you said is right, but it's all in your head. I said, you've never transferred it to your heart. And I said, you have all this head knowledge, but you don't have a heart knowledge of who God is and what he can do for you. I said, so now it's time for you to take everything that you know and apply it to your life so you're not a hypocrite. And he was like, you're right. And it was like right then, it was like an eye-opening moment for both of us. And he, mm. um, he's been walking with the Lord ever since. Amen. Husband, yeah. <laughs> That's a great example of husbands and wives discipling each other. And that's really what we have to do. There's no doubt about that. 
Um, got one more picture here. I wondered if you knew any of those guys. We just these are all these are all generic pictures off the internet, by the way. When he said there was that was my class, we had no idea. Yeah, that's uh, that's Marcus Luttrell there in the center right, and I can't really see the. Marcus Luttrell was from uh, what's the name of that? Lone Survivor. Lone Survivor. Is he the one that survived? He the he's the one that. Correct. The movie Lone Survivor. Yeah, where the whole team was was killed except him. And yeah. that's Mike Murphy on the extreme right. And I'm, some of these guys were West Coast guys. I don't really recall. The guy on the extreme left is uh, Matt Axelson. <laughs> and um, all those guys are, all those guys in that picture are dead. All of them are dead except. Except Marcus. Except Marcus. Correct. They died in. Uh, the were guy they, on, were the they right. on his mission where everybody died? Correct. You get, can I borrow your yeah, the bottom is the, is the laser. This guy is a Medal, Medal of Honor recipient. He was on the recce team with, with Marcus. This guy was on the recce team as well. They what's, were killed. What's recce team? What's reconnaissance. That? They were doing a reconnaissance. All the other guys were uh, on the QRF. So there was, there was 12 on the QRF. So four-man four man team was compromised by the Taliban up in the Hindu Kush, and uh, they called for, uh, you know, an extraction. Back. Yeah. And the helicopter com- was coming in in daylight hours, was shot down by the Taliban. It took them uh, several days to recover all the bodies. W- was it you, or, or did I hear it somewhere, that the, uh, the death rate is around 50%? No, it wasn't me. I'm not sure what our okay. death rate is. A lot of guys, a lot, a lot of guys, guys die. And we have a lot of guys that have been been killed. A lot of guys from my buds class specifically. Hmm. Hmm. Um. You know, we look at a picture like that, and uh, it just oozes manliness. I mean, we think, wow, those are some some real men. Do, do guys really get an identity as a as a warrior, especially at the very top level of? Yes, it kind of <clears throat> you're talked up to that level to some degree, a large degree, and then at some point there's a shift. And April, I, I'm not on Facebook, but she can attest. There's a a lot of guys morph into it's just a it's a way of life. You're almost that Spartan. Have that Spartan methodology, where some so, so we say they're talked up to it. In other words, it, it, they preach that you're a Superman, but at some point you start to believe that and start to think that way, and it's Absolutely. this is who I am. And the more combat, the more seasoned guys, or they have Leonidas syndrome. Leonidas. Yeah, you know, like King Leonidas in the 300, and uh, I think I suffered from that for quite a while, and you. And for many years, I anticipated this glorious death. I, I didn't expect really? to be. I, I, we've deployed so much, and I absolutely anticipated to not come home several times. And it's the grace of God I'm here. And, but at the same time, that's what's so scary about this picture. Is uh, I have a sense every time I see this, I get goosebumps. But there's a lot of regret and families and those guys because these guys probably aren't safe yeah but they think because of their what they've done in this warrior image 
that this is the best way to die. You can't die in a better fashion and that you're automatically going to just live in God's kingdom. It's almost kind of a Christian jihad thing. It it is. Wow. Wow. And do you talk about the glorious death? I mean, is that a discussion amongst operators? No, it's kind of a, just an unspoken. We don't, you don't want to die. There's been several times I made peace, you know, with, I didn't. You thought it was coming. I thought I was close enough to the Lord, which, thank God, he didn't take me. But there were several times, all right, Lord, I know you, you know, you can deliver me from this or you can take me and I'm ready. But thank God he didn't because I would be in hell. Uh, but I, it's just, uh, it's very scary. It, it is. And how has really coming to the Lord then changed your identity? What's your identity today? I've been called a lot of things, you know. (laughs) Jimbo's crazy, uh, but he's a warrior. I've been called uh, the machine gun preacher. (laughs) And my brother-in-law calls me that. Is that easier? Is it easier to witness to guys when you're holding a machine gun? <laughs> well, yeah. So I had this saying on my last deployment. Hey, all right, boys, let's go disciple, and uh, they can give us their life or their firstborn. And uh, guys are like Jimbo, you were out of control. But I would always, and it, God is good. He's just so great. Uh, I tried to figure out a way to disciple and witness to guys in that environment. And it's the same environment that many of you live and work in, to be exact. There's, at some point, we're, we're afraid we know we should speak to somebody, or we know we should live a more Christ-like life and be that light in darkness, but we reserve and we kind of withdraw. <clears throat> so I knew that these guys identified with, identified with the warrior mentality so I started looking in the Bible for warrior verses and I would put at the end of my PowerPoint brief our planning a doing about a battle plan exactly at the end in closing would be you know Psalm 44 5 and that became our troop Bible verse and which is what uh, through thee we will push down our enemies, we will tread them under that rise up against thee. And guys were like, whoa, man, that's awesome. <laughs> I said, uh, they said, what does it mean? And I said, well, it doesn't necessarily apply to this operation. It applies to, you know, Satan's attack. You, those who come to bring you down, the situation. And I said, it's only through God's grace that you're able to accomplish these things. It's not by your own strength. And every operation we were named after a book of the Bible. And in the end, you know, these guys aren't saved, but they, they started researching. And that really opened up. That opened their eyes. You know, at least they opened the Bible, if nothing else. So, so what you're telling me, your identity is as a Christian who happens right. to be a warrior. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, what is the peace of God like in your life today? Well, let me ask you this, if, if you can. Uh, what, what are some things 
that challenge the peace of God in your life now? I mean, are there, are there some things that, that uh, I don't know if I want to use the word struggling, some things you're working through, but God is helping you with that? I mean, trust. Okay. I say all the time, you know, trust in the Lord. And it's one of my verses. I will keep the imperfect peace whose mind has stayed on thee because he trusts in me. And uh, I say that, but I'm at a point right now where I have to make a critical decision. And it's a test of faith and, and how much you trust in the Lord. <clears throat> so that is the biggest way, you know, I wouldn't say Satan, but worldly opinions or decisions uh, are testing my, my peace. Is Do I stay in the Navy or do I retire? It's, uh, I wouldn't say it's a sat- Satan's attack per se, but it's, you know, well, there's a lot. I mean, if there are always ramifications to our decisions. Exactly. You know, if I go this way, this way, I go that way, and and how do I make that choice? And and but what you're telling me is you don't have to be torn up with anxiety in the process of making right. that choice. It's. I'm trying to be patient, and I have pe- I have a certain a large degree of peace right now, but I've never. I've never let a decision ride this far, this close to the, the cliff, so to speak. Being decisive is part of the whole, Right. yeah, make a decision and go and right. pick up the pieces. And later. there's a lot of guys that are kind of looking at me like, why haven't you, when are you coming back to the team or when are you coming to take this team? And uh, just, I say I'm praying, man. And they, it blows their mind. They don't <laughs> understand it. And it but, uh. I truly am. And I need your guys' prayer in that. Hmm. It's God that will give me, a, if nothing else, peace in a, yeah. in a, in a decision. Yeah. April, uh, as, we, as we come to a close here, what would you like to say to, uh, to a, a Christian who may be listening today, but uh, they've been having a real difficulty in their life, and it's uh, hard to persevere? You had to persevere for a few years. Uh, why did you not give up? Why did you not send him down the road? Because um, God told me not to. <laughs> <laughs> he, I felt it very strong that God said, do not give up, and that one day God will use all of our um, bad times for his glory. And he's proven himself to be true. And... Um, I dug in the Psalms a lot, and um, whenever we read Psalms, I can almost say most of them by memory just by going through them, and there's a lot of comfort and a lot of strength, a lot of crying out to God, and a lot of promises of deliverance as well, and um, I would say start in the Psalms, Mm -hmm. but um, right now in my life, it's a different battle, and um, now my life verse that I try to meditate on almost every day is Galatians 2.20. And it's about um, dying in Christ, being crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ that lives in me. And I feel like that's probably the key ingredient to almost every day. Um, being a mom, parenting, not losing my temper, not being frustrated, um, not worrying about anything. 
It's just being dead to who April is, April's desires, April's emotions, April's reactions, um, everything that's April needs to die. And I just need to dwell on Christ. Let him guide every single moment of every single day. And I think that's probably the key ingredient to every Christian life. Amen. Jim, what would you say to anybody who's here who's who's riding the fence with Christ like you were? You kind of knew the Lord, but you didn't really know the Lord. And and you came to that point. I mean, uh, I think you've already recommended the Christian life. But what else would you say to somebody who's... Who, who needs to step over and just say, I'm going to be a Christian, and that's what I'm going to be. Don't hesitate. If the Lord is pulling on your heart, first of all, you don't need to seek a man for his approval. The Lord is speaking to you. Open God's Word. There are folks there to help you understand if you don't understand. But don't hesitate, because when you leave... There's no guarantee you'll be able to return and hear the pastor try to reiterate and make it a little clearer next time. There's no redos. God, God's grace is unfathomable to me. It's uh, how many opportunities that he gave me that I didn't deserve when I turned my back on him. And thank God he didn't let me die. And I'm able to attest to what he's done today, but... Don't don't ride the fence. You're you're in dangerous ground if you're if you're you have one foot on either side of the fence. And God is a patient God, but you don't know his time and what he's going to do to swage you either way. And if he has a plan for you, you either uh he's gonna draw you nigh to him, or I think maybe you've calloused your heart to the point where you decide to do what I did and turn completely away from him and he will crush you. <laughs> and But he allowed me to live. He pushed me to the point as a saved guy to I could either completely submit or I could completely just go my own way and I would probably have been imprisoned maybe or dead. But don't wait. I just can't stress that enough. There's no regret. I have no regrets being saved. Uh, a seal is what I do. It's not who I am. I realize that now. God is good all the time. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Thank you.